You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to Help, I Have a Tweenager. We're breaking the rules today and making a very special bonus episode for parents who are learning, just like getting used to letting go a little bit as their kids get bigger. I'm Holly Wainwright. You might know me from Mamma Mia Out Loud, or you might know me from the years that I was on this glorious mess. I have two kids. I have one who's no longer a tween. My daughter is about to be 14. And my son, Billy, who's very tweeny, he is 11. And I am joined by... I'm Jo Lamble, clinical psychologist and co-host of Help I Have a Teenager. So this is really exciting to be talking about tweens. My kids are well and truly past that at 27 and 29, but oh my gosh, I certainly remember it. Especially that stage where at one moment they feel really grown up because they're getting to the top of the primary school and they, you know, they've got a bit of that attitude, you know. Oh, yes. And then suddenly they start high school and they're tiny, tiny fish in that huge sea. I know, it's a oh. very specific moment moment, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. What we're going to talk about today is about letting go and about what the things that you should start letting them do, like safe ways to test that independence, safe ways to test that boundary, things you might be feeling a little bit insecure about, but you should just do anyway and things you definitely shouldn't. And we've also got a listener dilemma, which will be very familiar to many of you, about a mother on whether or not she should allow her daughter to get a phone for her 12th birthday. But first, let's talk about some of those big moments and milestones that a lot of tweens hit during this time. So a tween, the definition is aged between 8 and 12. I always thought of that stage, Joe, as the time when I stopped being a constant presence. You know, when they're littler than 8, they turn around and you're there, you know, except for obviously when they're at school. But you're always, if they're out of the house, you're with them. But somewhere between the 8 and 12, you might start letting them maybe walk to school on their own. Maybe you might leave them at a kid's party with their mates rather than you being there in the background. There might be other things that you do. What do you think are some of the sort of important independent steps you should be thinking about with your kids when they're that age. Yeah, and every tween is different, aren't they? And you know your kid. You know what they're out for because some kids are far more anxious than others and might not want to be doing too much on their own, so you want to take smaller steps. But as you say, that might be the first time they're walking to school on their own. And you've probably walked with them so many times, so they know the drill, they know to watch out for driveways, they know how to cross the road. So that's really important to let them have that independence or try on the bus for the first time on their own. Again, you might want to go with them for a few times in the holidays to show them. But, you know, you want them to get that sense of achievement when they can puff their chests out and feel that, as I said, that really grown-up feeling of being, you know, towards the end of primary school. So when my daughter was this age, we lived within walking distance of her primary school. And I think she would have been in year five, halfway through year five, when she said, I want to start walking with my friend who lived down the road. And I still had to walk her little brother at that point, and she certainly wasn't going to. And uh, <laughs> and also, 
I think there's a big difference between her being able to walk to school by herself and being responsible for a, another child, obviously. So I sort of was like, okay, you and Sienna can walk together, but me and Billy are going to be like <laughs> five minutes behind. And that washed for a while. And then she was like, mum, it's so embarrassing. And I quite enjoyed her having that independence because I remembered it myself from my youth. I used to walk to school with my friends and it was fun. But some of my mates at that time were very like, oh, she's too young. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if she gets snatched? Do you trust her if something were to happen? What do you think about that? Do you think it is a pretty safe independent first step? Oh, I do. Of course it depends. My kids were the same. We lived in the same street as the school so they could walk there. Mind you, I remember my kids telling me, Mum, we want to go on our own. And I'm saying, oh, really? Because I like to chat. Yeah. I know you love to chat because it's often uh, you like to chat to the other parents. <laughs> and also, unless I would be in a mad rush for work, which yes. often I was, but also it was a time when I might get to chat to them. That's you know, right. that walk That's to right. school might be a time when they might chat to you while you were like walking up the hill and you could talk about things like far more than on the way home when they were yes. normally hangry and they <laughs> they weren't great 100%. company but I do understand that firstly some kids live so far away from their school so of course they can't walk or the parent might not feel happy or in my case what I always said to my kids was look I'm going to work <laughs> so it was yeah, it was so much easier to drop them especially if it was before school care or, you know, just right on the bell, <laughs> something yeah. like that, because you're rushing. Every family is different. So I think it's a great idea to just think about ways. And if it doesn't suit your family for the kids to walk to school on their own or catch the bus, there are other ways to increase independence. For example, just letting them go to the shops on their own. That is a really good thing for them to come home with the change or probably your cash card yes. <laughs> now. Or, I mean, the other thing to have local friends, that's where it's really cool when you can let them, you know, ride. Run call for Bobby or whatever. Exactly. Yes. And, and go and, you know, meet up with a friend and go for a ride and get that call that I did. The very first time my daughter went on her bike to meet her good friend, Emily, I got a call within 10 minutes, she'd fallen off and broken her arm. Oh, but no. But that was a great story for her to tell. Well, of course. And, <laughs> yes. you know, it was going to happen. But... I want a bright green car. <laughs> Who doesn't love a bright green car? So after that happened, were you like, I'm never letting her out of the house again? Or were you like, oh, well, the worst thing's happened now. We can we can move on. Because you said, okay, we all survived that. <laughs> she was happy with the cast. <laughs> she was saying no. And the good thing was it showed that she was really responsible what to do. They went into a shop and said, can you call my mum? Yes. <laughs> and so I thought, well, that was good. And so, you know, then I could reward her with lots of praise saying, well done. That showed me you're ready for this because you handled that situation. You handled it really well. It didn't seem to put her off. The other thing it taught me was that, you know, all this talk, and we grew up with it, didn't we, Holly, this stranger danger talk. And I think it's really important to just modify that a bit because you just don't want to say all oh, strangers are dangerous. You want to say, you know, strangers are fine and they're there to help you. Don't go anywhere with them. Yes. But but it is absolutely fine if a stranger comes up and says, are you okay, to say, no, actually, do you mind ringing my mum or my dad? You know, that is okay. I remember somebody saying to me once, and this was, I thought was a good distinction on that, it's not don't talk to strangers. It's don't go with strangers. Yes, big difference. And so when my daughter was 11, I gave her a front door key. She wasn't that keen on going to after school care anymore when she was in like year six. And sometimes there would be a short period of time when she'd be home alone. So she got a front door key for her birthday. She was so excited. But of course, she was a child and she kept losing it. <laughs> but one time I was in a meeting at work and I was getting ready to leave and an unknown number came on my phone. And it was my daughter who had locked herself out because she'd lost her key. And she 
asked a stranger on the street to call me because I'd got her to memorize the number. And again, I was like, oh, that's great. And so I was like, you know, knock on my neighbor's door and all those things. And she was worried that I was going to be mad with her for talking to the stranger in the street to call me. And I was like, well, no, that was what you did was very smart. You thought of that yourself. You asked them to give me a call. The woman was like, you don't know me, but your daughter's here and put me on. And then, you know, it was all fine. That's why it's really important that we just chat like this to say, hey, tell your kids it's fine to talk to strangers. Especially at this kind of age, you know. Obviously, the kids are about to go back to school, which you'll either be sad or happy about, depending on what your work arrangements have been over summer is often what dictates that uh, feeling. What I'd love to know is what you think as the kids are at this age and they're going back to the classroom, what's kind of going on there for this age group of kids that we need to be aware of to support them? Tweens are normally pretty confident about going to school. They know the drill. You know, they're getting up in the primary school, so they're feeling probably really happy to go back to their to see their friends. Some learning difficulties can start showing up at this age. So just be aware that if you notice your child is just not keeping up with their peers as they used to, it's the changes that matter. But gosh, Holly, teachers are so good mm-hmm. at picking up they the are. stuff. And, and they can alert you and say, hey, you know, perhaps you might need to get an assessment. So just some parents are surprised because they're thinking, oh, well, there was no problem before. But just at that age when things start picking up a little bit, some things show up. And then big differences at this age that they can certainly sometimes see over one summer is that some kids start going through puberty and others aren't. And the difference can be massive, you know. Some kids, kids can grow a lot oh, during that summer holiday. Sometimes you go back to school and you're like, oh, what happened to you? Oh, exactly. And some are coming up to others, you know, armpits. <laughs> Again, it can be quite confronting and overwhelming for them. And that can sometimes cause some, I don't know, some power shifts in in group and in the year group. So again, just to be aware of that, nothing to worry about, but just, you know, to actually be interested and fascinated by it and help your kids feel the same way. And explain to them that everybody's a bit different. Yeah. One of the things that we always go through in the first few weeks of term is whose friends are in the class with them. Yes. Right. At what point when your kid is unhappy about like who they're with and whether or not they're with so-and-so and and I don't like my teacher and I don't like these kids and da-da-da-da-da, with the years of experience that you have on this, when to worry and when to just tell them to get over it? Mainly tell them to get over it. (laughs) But this is why I always emphasise with my kids and I encourage parents to do the same thing, is to encourage friendships outside school. So because at this age in tween agehood, you know, some kids can move schools your kids' friends can be from the soccer team, from dance, from their family friends. So it's really good to encourage all these different friendships because it takes the pressure off everything being about your friends in your class. Because let's face it, at school, they're spending most of the time with whoever's in their class. Yeah. Now, often around this age, kids do start using phones, whether or not they actually get one. And we're going to talk about this in a listener dilemma in a moment. But what happened with my kids and about year six, year five, year six, is they had access to a phone at home. So it wasn't their phone, but they would play games on it. It was one of our old phones or whatever, and it would be have limited things on it. Back to that friend piece, it becomes a very important friend communication tool. And that can be good and bad. What kind of words do you think we should put around that kind of communication for kids when they're starting to realise that their friends, that 
they can communicate with their friends beyond. I think we've just got to stay really positive about it. They are good things, you know, so it is lovely to be able to stay connected with your friends. It's lovely to just be able to send messages even if it's from home. So we don't want to start off with their first experience of using a phone as a negative, this is really bad and you're only allowed to use it at certain times because otherwise we are going to firstly look very hypocritical (laughs) because we love our phones. Are you suggesting that we might be on our phones quite a lot? I am, Holly. (laughs) So (laughs) it would, one, be hypocritical and secondly, we don't want to scare them off and we don't want to make it a negative thing. And it's called in, you know, psychobabble land, it's called the dominant thought principle. We want the dominant thought about phones as they're good. They're good. They're a great way to connect. They're a great way to let someone know you need them or for someone to let you know that they're needed. So if we start off with that and we just say, but there are just certain ways that we can manage this. And one thing that can definitely happen, especially for tweens, is you want to empathise with your kids and say, yes, I know your friends. Some of them have got a phone. I get it. I get that you really want one and your time will come when we think it's a good idea, but that's another life lesson. There'll be lots of things in life that your friends may get before you or you may get before them. And sorry, my job is just to help. I'll give you heaps of empathy and validation for it, but not necessarily just solve it instantly. So we've started to talk a little bit about technology, which is obviously something that looms large when our kids start getting to this age. But also I'd love to know the last couple of years of primary school or maybe even the first year of high school when kids are expected to be able to deal with their own stuff a bit more. Timetable, whether like a literal one or a a figurative timetable, like what's supposed to happen in a day and what you're supposed to remember to have with you and what's the homework and what's all of these kind of things. Let's call it admin, life admin. I've never been very good at it, to be honest, and I'm a grown-up. What do you think are some good ways that parents can help kids get their heads around that? Yeah, we can really help take the pressure off this because it it does start in teenagehood to get a little bit harder to juggle everything. Their homework's increasing a little bit and most kids are nagging to do every single extracurricular activity Mm. known to humankind. You know, as early as you can say, look, let's just think about One, choose an activity and commit to that for a while, see how you go, because you want them to have downtime. You want them to have enough time to relax, to be bored, so they can learn to be creative and problem solve that issue. You want them to have family time. I wonder if sometimes we feel guilty if there's unstructured time in a kid's day, particularly at this age where we're like, oh, they should be doing their homework. They should be reading an improving book. They should be doing whatever, I don't know. It's actually valuable to have time where they're not meant to be doing anything. Absolutely. Research shows that we boredom is good because boredom tells us, okay, what I'm doing right now is not working. So what am I going to do instead? Which often helps them, that part of their brain, to develop problem-solving skills but also creativity. They have to come up with an idea on what they want to do. If we are always filling their schedule with something and they never experience that boredom, then they'll never know how to do that. So it is really important. If they're saying, I'm bored, you say, okay, I'm glad. What are you going to do about it? That's great that you've experienced that. We've all experienced that. Now, obviously what my son really wants to do when he walks in the door from school, I hate to say it, is he wants to get on his iPad and have half an hour of like, I'm gaming for, you know, I'm playing with my friends for half an hour or whatever as his downtime, as his wind down time. Does this count? Do you recommend at this age 
you know, that's like a sort of strict time period, a bit of a boundary around it. What do you think about that? Why wouldn't he want to play games with his friends? I think that's absolutely fine. And I think what you want to do is work with him about what's the best time. Okay, when are your friends on? When are your friends online? Because it's no use saying to a child, right, you can have time from 4 till 4.30 or 5 or something, that, and they say, but my friends aren't on then. You know, so you find out, okay, when's the best time for you? So let's work out the schedule so you get that's your chosen downtime, fine. But it, yes, it is limited and it's got to fit in with the family the family yeah. time and, yeah, other activities that are on. The, the thing we want to really ward against, Holly, is just say, no, get off that device, get off that iPad, get off, get off. You know, whatever we say is bad, that's what they want to do. So we want to help oh, them with it, manage it. Screwed so many things up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Already. <laughs> Plenty of time. It's interesting because the things that my son wants to do on a device are often quite creative. Like he's playing games with his friends, he's building characters, he's doing all those things. And sometimes it's hard because I think we've internalized a lot of maybe negativity about screen time that I do find myself doing that. Like get off the screen, get off the screen. But it's like actually what he's doing on that screen at that time is valuable and creative and interesting and he's connecting with his friends doing it. And listen to him laughing. He's probably chatting with his friends and laughing. He's having a lovely time. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because if we had our child just with their eyes in a book the whole time for hours, we probably would think, oh, isn't that marvellous? But if they've got their (laughs) eyes on a device, we're thinking, get off that, get off that and get your eyes on a book. So we want to say we get why you love it. I love my phone too. I love my devices too. So let's just help you manage it. So... Screen time, boundaries, and maybe physical, also using some of the great tools there are about actual protecting what they're yeah. looking at on there. So, yeah, that now is a time at around this age is to start saying just gent, we don't want to scare them at all. We just want to give general messages like if you ever see anything online that you're uncomfortable about, just come and talk to me. And what you're saying there is, yes, there are some things online that you may be Mm. uncomfortable with, but you're not saying careful. (laughs) You're just saying, if that ever happens, then come and talk to me. Holly, the other thing I just want to just gently warn parents to make sure they warn their tweens and teens about is that don't think that anything you're saying in a group chat or just to your one friend is necessarily only being seen. That, that is a by that really friend. good advice. So it's really important and kids can think, no, they've got this privacy and they can say these things, but another parent can be seeing that, the school principal could be seeing that, you know, so they've really got to know and that's why you want to have that rule. Only say things that you would say face-to-face. And the other thing is a really good opportunity to teach them about being a beautiful person and a beautiful friend and that is if you are in a group chat or just one-on-one and someone is saying something really nasty about another person, then just be a really good person and just stand up. Don't be a bystander. Stand up for them and say, hey, that's not cool. That's not nice. And get out of the chat as soon as you can. What if they slip up? I know it's happened in my house. I'm sure it's happened in lots of our listeners' houses when sometimes you are the person monitoring the group chat and you do see your child talking in a way that like you're shocked. You didn't know that your kid and the language. like that and the language. <laughs> But in terms of consequences, is that a take your phone away moment? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely put that on the contract because that's directly related to the device. Yeah. So if you are on the device, you know, saying something really unkind, let alone bullying someone or then, yeah, that is something. Yeah, that may be when you lose your phone for longer. 
you really want to say to them that that's really, that's far worse than so many things you can do. So yeah, make a consequence for that one. is a listener dilemma from Angie and she writes, my daughter's turning 12 and she's been honest about getting her a mobile phone because apparently every other kid her age already has one. We're a bit old school. Back in our day, having a phone at 12 wasn't the norm. So we're questioning if she really needs it now. Our main thing is wanting to stay in touch while she's on the school bus and for her to reach us if she needs to, but we're wary about her getting too glued to the screen. We've chatted with other parents and it seems like most kids her age do have a phone or something similar. The funny thing is her school doesn't even allow phones, so we're scratching our heads about the whole deal. We're not keen on her diving into social media just yet and we're wondering if we're being a tad too strict. She's starting high school soon, so would giving her a phone make sense? Joe, what do you think? I know that there aren't necessarily hard and fast rules, but what are the pros and cons of having a phone when you're 12? I always remember something Mia actually said years ago when she and I were doing some talks on parenting. And she advised that you surprise your kids with the first phone. Give it just before her birthday. Um, something like that because they, when they're so shocked and so thrilled to be getting that phone, they'll often agree to anything. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise and delight. Yes. Are you a fan of an agreement a sort of phone agreement? I am a huge fan of a contract. I think it's such a good life lesson, you know. So you're saying to them, this is actually my phone because I'm paying for it, but you have earned the privilege to use it. So you can use this phone. And if you stick to the rules that we're going to agree on together, then you can keep using it. And if you don't, then you'll lose the privilege for a while. So, I mean, that is just like a driver's license. We earn the right to have a driver's license, but we lose it if we break the rules. And then when you're doing that contract, it's just good to do it together. Don't present it to your child and say, these are the rules. Say, let's work out some rules that are going to suit everybody. And so things on there like how long per day and how that can vary at weekends or holidays. The fact that only talk to people online that you know in real life. Never say anything online that you wouldn't say face to face. Mm -hmm. Never post an image of anyone without asking their permission. Never post anything of you in school uniform or anything like that. This is what we do as adults as well. So then if they're signing away and they sign it, you sign it. Also in the contract, Holly, you want to put the consequences. Yeah, right. If you break the rule, then you'll lose the, you know, for, you know, a day. What's really important about that is you don't want to take the phone away for every behaviour because a lot of parents just say, okay, you just spoke rudely to your brother. Come on hand your phone over, yeah. <laughs> or you didn't come to the table, you didn't do this chore, hand your phone over. And that would seriously be like us, jaywalking, you know, across a road, not at the crossing, and a police officer coming over and saying, come on, Holly, give me your phone. doesn't make sense to them. So if you've got the contract, you break those rules, you lose the phone use for a little while. And so that's, again, good life lesson, easy for everyone to understand, and it shouldn't be too many arguments because you're just pointing to this list of rules. Do you think that 12 is a good age to be able to understand those rules, to be able to begin to understand, you know, the phone world? Because certainly in my house, high school was the, was the point when you got your own phone. 
But in general, do you think they're mature enough to be able to handle it? Yeah, in general, definitely. I think it's a really good age to be handling that. And as I said, I'd, I'd do it around that age, surprise them at a, a certain time. I think social media is a different thing. So most social media apps have a guideline of 13 yes. plus. But you want to be careful about that because if you just say straight out, no social media, no, we're not we're not having that. Kids are pretty smart and their friends are very smart and they can help them. I have them. discovered this. Yes, they can, <laughs> can't they? So they can they can show them, oh, don't worry about your parents, <laughs> I'll yeah. show you how to get on. So it's far better again to say, okay, let me tell you the guidelines are 13, but you might be allowed to have this app, you know, a bit earlier at 12. So let's set it up together. And so you've got more buy-in from them if you're helping them. And that's another general rule here. Be interested in what they like to do with their phone. Yeah. You know, for Angie, ask your daughter what she wants to do on a phone. What's she most excited about? So for Angie, our listener, you think 12 is not a bad idea. Maybe take the surprise and delight option. Giving your daughter a phone does not mean giving her all social media. Set up rules of engagement, rules of agreement, and work with her on the things she'd love to do on it. That's right. So I do have to ask, though, a follow-up question, actually, that when we've given our child our phone and we've made all those agreements, I know in my house that technology does still lead to a lot of arguments, which is because my daughter, who's a bit older now, but there often feels like there's nothing she'd rather be doing. So, you know, it's just constantly looking at their phone. You might have agreed to a certain amount of data use, but it'll always be like, oh, I've hit my data, mom. There's just endless back and forth about the phone. How do we kind of limit that conflict around, you know, the fact that once they start and they realize just how wondrous these devices are, (laughs) that they may never lift their head again? With empathy. Right. So you want to say, I get it. I get why you love it. I get why you want to talk to your friends on FaceTime till 11 p.m. I totally get it. I get that when we were young that, you know, we could just be at school all day and then just want to be on that landline with the long cord (laughs) for as long as possible. So I get it. So if you come from that point, I really get it. But you need sleep. The family need enough sleep. So I'm going to help you manage it. So let us just help you. That's what's in the contract. That's why we've got the time limit on it. That's why the phone or any device really should be out of the bedroom, depending on their age, by 8 or 9 p.m. And charge your own phone out of the bedroom. Get them a good old-fashioned alarm clock (laughs) that they can set the alarm to get up so they don't have that excuse to need their phone. Joe, your advice is so calming and common sense. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this very special episode of Help I Have a Teenager. Get in touch with us anytime by joining our parenting group, Mamma Mia Family, and we would love it if you want to send us some feedback on this episode by emailing podcast at mamamia.com.au. This episode was produced by Grace Rouvray with audio production by Scott Stronick. And if you want more of your parenting questions answered, tune in every week to Help I Have a Teenager and This Glorious Mess. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Holly.